When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. So welcome to the history of the heavyweight championship of the world, a podcast from Yahoo with me, Steve Bunce. Watch now. Down he goes for the count of 10. In this series, I will take a look at one year in the sports history. I will cover all the heavyweight championship fights, the stories, characters, outrageous acts, fairy tales, knockouts, controversies, inventions, and one or two lies. Well, certainly the truth being stretched. In short, all the details that matter. I start in 1960 with men that changed the sport forever. This will be no contest. This will be a total annihilation. Well, let, let him do the talking. He does enough for both of us. I would like to announce my retirement from boxing. Oh, well, I've been up and down a number of times. It's all here. Every fighter and fight that matters. Welcome to 1962. In early 1962, Floyd Patterson announced that he would finally give Charles Sonny Liston a shot at the title. It was three years too late in many ways, but Liston had been stalking the champion and waiting impatiently for his chance. Sonny was not happy and he wanted to run Floyd over in a car. No, he told the press that he wanted to run Floyd over in a car. There was malevolence in Big Sonny. Make no mistake, Patterson had insisted on the fight, a fight that was only possible because Customato, his manager of record, no longer had any say on opponents. It had been DeMarto who had constantly refused Liston. DeMarto was still there, a reduced player in the champion's life. The fight was planned for September at Kamitsky Park in Chicago, a baseball ground, and was expected to be the richest fight ever in the history of the sport. It was estimated that $6 million would be generated. Patterson officially announced the fight in March and then travelled to Egypt as part of a diplomatic mission. He also had a book come out, now a rare book, Victory Over Myself, it was called. Floyd had a hard life. Oh, well, I've been up and down a number of times, but uh, fortunately, because of my uh, determination and my belief in myself, I keep coming back. Uh, I've been down a lot of times. I've been back a lot of times. This is just one more time that I'm trying. The book was a raw portrait of a troubled man. Patterson seemed to be busy doing everything but prepare for the number one contender, the man he had ignored for so long. On the night, over 600 writers from all over the world attended the fight. 18,894 paid to watch live. The closed circuit and television revenue was more than $4 million. Two people had the fight exclusively beamed into their living rooms. John F. Kennedy, 
the President at the White House, and Frank Sinatra, the crooner, at his home in Hollywood. It is estimated that Patterson made $1,185,000. It was massive. Champions fought for less 50 years later. The fight seemed to divide the experts. Some of the greatest boxing minds and masters disagreed on the outcome. The young pretender, Cassius Clay, tipped Liston inside five rounds. Norman Mailer, the novelist, tipped Patterson to win in round six. The press boys had a glorious time writing about the build-up. Red Smith, the iconic American columnist, told the millions who read his syndicated column that it would be special and that Liston would win. We will then have a heavyweight champion who is not a mixed-up, sensitive, confused muddle of complexes. We will merely have a great, big, ugly, rough, heavyweight prize fight of a champion. It will make life a lot simpler for all of us. The renowned novelist James Baldwin spent time with both boxers before the first bell, and he eventually picked Patterson, who he thought was tough and proud and beautiful and also terribly vulnerable, and he looks it. Baldwin was spot on, by the way. Baldwin was one of the few to get time with Liston, and he seemed to get under all of the brooding, skulking, scowling menace of the challenger. Liston told Baldwin, coloured people say they don't want their children to look up to me. Baldwin knew that Sonny was hurt by that. Liston had been refused a licence to box in New York, and a lot of people still talked about his criminal past, his crimes and his connections to organised crime. Liston shrugged off the critics and said that boxing needs a good guy and a bad guy. It's like a Western, he said. George Whiting of the London Evening Standard set the mood perfectly before the first bell. They will be waging war for an hour or lying in a crumpled heap in a minute. For the loser, a lonely dressing room as the night grows old. Those 60s scribes were poets. There was eccentric New York columnist Joe Williams who declared the fight the Battle of the Bums. He said Liston is an unknown quantity and Patterson has a China chin. If Big Joe was writing now and writing that about modern heavyweight title fights, he would not get a pass, let alone a ringside seat. Perhaps the final word before the first bell should go to Customato. His wings of influence had been clipped, but he could still hold a crowd of journalists captive when he opened his mouth. He was repeatedly asked about Floyd's bravery. Floyd will not be intimidated. Boxing is war. If you can deploy your own forces skillfully and at the proper time, you can defeat a superior force. DeMarta would preach the same sermon to the man-boy Mike Tyson over 20 years later. Liston made his way to the ring in a white robe, the hood up, his face hidden. They came together for the introductions, and Liston looked up, staring at Patterson. The champion looked at the canvas, never once making eye contact with his nemesis. The long overdue brawl started. Patterson used his peekaboo style, ducking and weaving under and away from Liston's stiff jab. It had been dubbed the best left jab in boxing since Joe Louis. It was a thunderous punch, straight and accurate, but Patterson was slipping away from it and clinching when close. He was holding on hard from very early in the first round. Liston sunk in a dozen left hooks to the top of Patterson's legs, and that's illegal. There was no attempt to bring them up above the belt line, and the referee was not bothered by them. They were nasty punches, punches that told Patterson 
he was in big trouble. Liston was 15 stone and 4 pounds. He was 25 pounds heavier than Patterson. It showed. Liston bullied the champion and all the men that had predicted a Patterson win must have realised very early that they had got it badly wrong. The last punch of Patterson's second reign as heavyweight champion of the world was a fudding left hook. He went down on his back, rolled onto his side and then his knee and was rising as the referee reached a count of 10. It was over in just 126 seconds of the first round. Sonny Liston was the world heavyweight champion. And then all hell broke out. Clay started screaming, what happened? That was an embarrassment to boxing. Peter Wilson, the cantankerous and opinionated man from the Daily Mirror, had picked Liston, but he was not happy. Fight? There was no fight. A massacre? Yes. A contemptuous display of raw power over a timid defence? But a fight? Never. A rogue elephant is the heavyweight champion of the world, Big Peter declared. Patterson vanished hid behind a closed door, sent for a moustache and beard and escaped in a car, driving away in shame. The disguise had been made two years earlier, before the second fight with Ingemar Johansson. He never had to use it that night, but in Chicago, he used it. No bank robber ever moved faster from the scene of a crime, wrote the American Jimmy Cannon, arguably the finest wordsmith in the writing game back then. Patterson was accused of pacifism and worse. Arthur Daly of the New York Times lamented the performance by Patterson. He barely went through the motions of defending his title. It must have been ugly that night. However, I just can't imagine how anybody thought that Liston would lose. He had been destructive and ignored. Patterson had been vulnerable and protected. Perhaps it's just me being an after-timer, but I don't think so. This was always a simple fight to predict. Liston was desperately looking for redemption, looking to change the image of him that people had. If the public would uh, let bygones be bygones, that I would be a good champion. Maybe a better champion he was, either just as good a champion as he was. In his dressing room, he started talking, planning a happier future, promising a new Sonny. If the public will give me a chance to prove it, I will be a worthy champion, like Patterson has been, and more like Joe Louis who was one of the first to congratulate me. There was, amazingly, talk of a rematch, something that Jimmy Cannon was not happy with. No need for a rematch, it was a disgraceful burlesque of a championship fight. The debate over Patterson's heart and desire and tactics continued long into the night. The former world champion, James J. Braddock, defended the fallen champion, saying that he had gone forward and had fought stupidly. It was Liston who came to the rescue of the man he had just destroyed. There is a big difference between having fear in you and being a coward. Patterson had fear in him, but he wasn't no coward, said Liston. Late that night, Baldwin, the award-winning novelist, and A.J. Liebling, the author of the beautiful boxing book The Sweet Science, held a bizarre ritual in a bar. Baldwin wrote they drank to mourn the very possible death of boxing and to have a drink with love for Floyd. Sonny had clearly delivered some type of apocalypse to heavyweight boxing, according to some. There was a moment of lunacy at the press conference the following morning when Mailer, fresh from an all-night session at a bar, declared that, as per his prediction, Patterson had really won the fight. Liston called him a bum and Mailer called Liston a bum. The new champion laughed and security did their best to evict Mailer, who would eventually win a Pulitzer Prize for his writing. 
he would never win a thing for his boxing predictions. Patterson vanished to Madrid, using a disguise to try and go unnoticed. He also walked with a limp to further confuse people. He wanted to just clear his head of the extra demons that Liston's left hook had deposited there. Liston returned to Philadelphia, his adopted city at the time, expecting some type of glorious homecoming. He would be disappointed and hurt. The sports editor of the influential Philadelphia Daily News at the time was Larry Merchant, who would spend the rest of his life on television talking about boxing. Merchant wrote, A ticker tape parade might be in order, but it would be appropriate to use as confetti shredded arrest warrants. This annoyed Liston, but he decided to go on a charm offensive and be nice to Merchant. I think it was a cheap shot from Merchant, an unnecessary comment. Liston was always being reminded of his criminal past. Here's Pat Putnam from Sports Illustrated. Even after he became champion, the Philadelphia police, they went right on harassing him. They're just uh, petty things. Picking him up for standing on a street corner talking to someone. For Sunday, the last straw is when they picked him up in the park for driving too slowly. The Listons left Philadelphia later in the year for good. Cassius Clay started 1962 with a record of 10 wins in 10 fights. He would finish the year 16-0, world-ranked and hard to ignore. People in the business were starting to talk about when and not if he would win the heavyweight title. He was collecting an impressive list of admirers, and not just the many beat. Before his April fight with George Logan, both Jack Dempsey and Joe Louis, two of the greatest heavyweights in history, watched one of Clay's sparring sessions. The kid is like grease lightning, declared Louis. Dempsey did not disagree. Clay's first fight in 1962 was also his first in New York, first at the Garden. He met a man called Sonny Banks, a good fighter and a test. In round one, Clay was dropped, caught with a left hook and sent to the canvas. Angelo Dundee never panicked at ringside. He looked at his man and knew he would get up. His eyes were closed, but when his butt hit the canvas, he woke up. That's when I saw his recuperative powers. Clay had predicted a fourth round win, and that is what he did. Banks was saved in round four. Don Warner went in four in Miami, and then George Logan was beaten in four in Los Angeles. Clay was paid $9,206 for the Logan win, his highest at that point. A Harlem barber called Billy Daniels was next. Daniels was a contender and unbeaten in 16 on the night he met Clay. He was done in round seven. In July, back in LA, Clay had a real test when he met Argentine Alejandro Lavarante. A year earlier, Lavarante had knocked out Zora Foley, one of the feared heavyweights that Floyd Patterson had avoided. However, Lavarante had just lost to the ancient Archie Moore. It was a real fight. Clay was nasty and won in round five. Later in the year, Lavarante was stopped again. He never regained consciousness that night, was flown home to Argentina by his father, where he died the following year. The Lavarante win set up a fight with Moore in November in Los Angeles again. Make no mistake, this was not just another fight for the young kid. Moore was 45, but still on the edges of contention. Moore might have turned professional before Clay was born, but he was dangerous, wily and still angry at Clay for walking out on him in 1960. Clay, you see, had trained at Moore's Bucket of Blood gym in San Diego but he'd refused to sweep the floor as one of his chores and had then joined Dundee in Miami. Moore believed he would win. He's been fed a diet of nobodies and now he's about to meet a real somebody, said Moore. 
Clay stopped and dropped more in four, as he predicted once again. Liston was ringside, not impressed. He won't last long with me. However, Moore was impressed and said at the time he would have beaten Joe Louis four times out of five. That's some statement. At the start of the year, it looked like Clay was a long way short of getting a chance. But he was linked all year with the champion and at the end of the year, with Archie Moore offering warnings, the clock was ticking. Meanwhile, in London, Henry Cooper won three times in 1962 and retained his British title once. Incidentally, in December 1961, Zoe Foley had gone to London and stopped Cooper in two rounds. It makes Clay's win over the tragic Lavarante even more impressive. Liston was the heavyweight champion at the end of the year, but there were serious plans to get Clay a shot at that title. First, however, there was a rematch to be made for Liston. Another mismatch with the unfortunate Floyd Patterson. What a business. Watch now. Down he goes for the count of ten. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The 60s was a golden decade for sports writing. And here are some of the men that made it special. The writing geniuses at ringside for some of the greatest fights ever. The boxing journalism of 1962 was as good as ever. And it's finally time for Sonny Liston to win the world heavyweight title. He was going to meet Floyd Patterson. He was going to win. As usual, the London Evening Standard's George Whiting is in Chicago for the fight. And he is the only man that can set the scene for a fight like this. They've built a spotlit wooden ring on a four-foot-high platform near the baseball diamond in Chicago's Komitsky Park. It's a punishment pit, and it looks like a scaffold. They've got padding on the floor, velvet-covered ropes, spittoons, bottles of water, bags of ice, a stretcher, and a cylinder of oxygen. A not unpleasant breeze from the placid waters of Lake Michigan suggests a nice night for an execution. It's a boxing ring and a stadium, but Whiting sets it up like he's about to do a live report from the Sea of Tranquility on the moon. Whiting crashes on, his readers on the streets of London transfixed. The world will watch, the sweat will run, and 24 feet of innocent white canvas will be ready for blood. Fame, fortune, self-respect, and a red star in the history books are in the balance. No favours will be asked, no quarter sought. 
promptly at 9.30 with the bleachers packed, with ringsiders paying £35 for a seat near the sweat, with President Kennedy and a million lesser men ogling on television screens, the aficionados will hurry away and leave Patterson and Liston to sort out their problems in the loneliest spot in sport. The clowns, cashiers, politicians and propaganda choir will slide into the wings and we shall not notice their going. A stiff little man with a tuxedo and a microphone will warble the star-spangled banner and we shall fret for his final note. The fight scene has been painted gloriously by Whiting. Then it is the fight and George cherished the action with his huge brown knuckles hammering out a million-dollar dynasty, old stone-face thumped sensational victory out of a crumpled heap of witless humanity that had been Floyd Patterson just two minutes and six seconds earlier. Deadpan Sonny Liston, the sharecropper's son from Arkansas, and formerly convict number 68069 in a state penitentiary, is the new heavyweight champion of the world. And it had all been watched by a crowd that Whiting summed up perfectly. By rich punks and raucous peanut vendors, by celebrities and non-entities, by movie stars and mobsters, brown men and white men, grizzled ex-champions and those that never made it. Whiting always made the most brilliant of ringside observations, His special crowd of celebrities and non-entities could now, he wrote, tell their grandchildren they were there when monster Sonny Liston made a hash of a man he'd always held to be easy meat. How right he was. And in victory during the pandemonium at the end of all world heavyweight title fights, especially fights to end in the first round, Whiting concentrated on the main player, the main man, Sonny Liston. The world's new heavyweight champion permitted himself the shadow of a grin in acknowledgement of his achievement, took a cursory glance at the misery he had created in the opposite corner and was immediately engulfed by a protective mob of blue-uniformed policemen. Tonight, the law was on the side of Sonny Liston, the man they had so often called in for summary conviction. Whiting takes your breath away with the misery he had created in the opposite corner. That is what defeat is, misery. Whiting also glimpsed Patterson in the twilight of the fight night, still stunned. His mother stood awaiting him, sobbing and with arms outstretched. But Patterson seemed not to see her. The losing corner is no place for sorrowing parents. That is utter defeat. Whiting was on fire in Chicago. The Daily Mirror's Peter Wilson was also on duty all week for the Liston and Patterson fight, and he had his usual fun with the retinue, the entourage, hangers-on, security details, or whatever you want to call them. This is Big Peter on Liston's minders. He has a party of 18, including two detectives who go home when Liston goes to bed. Considering some of his previous relations with the law, this is a strange quirk of circumstances. And certainly, I've never met a man who looked less in need of protection. That is a great line, repeated often. 
On fight night, Wilson was there, observing everybody. This is quality. As the crowd filtered into the stadium, rather like a bath being filled by a hundred taps, the excitement mounted. Once more, there was that tension unique to a world heavyweight title fight. And that is how a big event feels. Wilson was perfect, like a bath being filled by a hundred taps. And here's Wilson on the fight's outcome. In 126 seconds, the time it takes to clean your teeth and brush your hair, Sonny Liston spanked, whacked, jabbed, slashed, thumped, and finally hooked Floyd Patterson into dusty, dismal, and abysmal defeat. That is Wilson in full flow, blowing his copy hot down a phone line or rattling away at the tiniest of tiny keys on a portable typewriter. Can you imagine finding that on the back pages? It's breathless copy. There was a bonus ringside appearance by George Whiting in November of the year when he went to Los Angeles to watch Cassius Clay take on the old master Archie Moore. It was a massacre of an old man as Whiting said, and in defeat, the travelling writer captured poor Archie's end. With dignity oozing from under his swollen eyelids, the old gentleman admitted gracefully that he had felt dizzy from the second round, and had not sat down after the round, lest he not be able to get up off the stall. Whiting had been on a long journey at that stage, just like Moore. The newspaper writers knew how to make the fight and the fighting men real for their readers. The men in the ring just gave them the great fights to write about. If you're enjoying this tour through the best of boxing history, you can find more transcripts, archive videos, historical images in the boxing section of the Yahoo UK sports site. That's uk.sports.yahoo.com slash boxing. The history of the heavyweight championship is written and recorded by me, Steve Bunce, produced by Yahoo UK, with editing and sound design by Lolita Laguna.